February 27th, 2024. Hi, kids. You are at jconthewine.com. I like this as much as anybody. 80 degrees at the end of February. But I was thinking about it yesterday as I was driving along. This is not right. It's not right, and it's not good. In the short term, yeah, everything's wonderful. Just enjoy beautiful springtime weather in the month of February. But it's not right. When you're overnight lows are 30 to 35 degrees above normal. And I'm not talking about just for a day or two. I'm talking for extended periods. Turns out February is going to end up being the warmest month in the history of the planet, probably, as far as Februarys are concerned. In other words, there's never been a warmer cumulative temperature average for the month of February since they've been keeping records in the late 1800s. You thought the pandemic for two years was inconvenient? Wait till there's no water and no fucking food. It'll be warmer in St. Louis today than it will be for the Cardinals 
in Jupiter, Florida, second day in a row. 77 down there. Sonny Gray, lots of eyes on him. And he gets the start today against the Red Sox. And as you know, I go on a broadcast live from spring training every year, which I haven't done yet, still scheduling that. But I always try to schedule around when Boston is in town because those Red Sox fans come into the ballpark and they just try to take the place over. They don't come in and just buy a seat and sit down. You know, they got to make a whole big thing out of it. And I see both sides. I mean, it's wonderful that you have people traveling all the way from Massachusetts down to Florida and that their, um, you know, that their loyalty to the team is as intense as it is. But boy, if you're not on their side and we're not, it's pretty damned obnoxious. Tommy Edmonds still coming off that surgery. He's not going to be ready for opening day. And Mason Wynn might not be seasoned enough. So the Cardinals picked up shortstop Brandon Crawford yesterday. Last season, he had 194. He's 37 years old. This didn't go over particularly well amongst the members of Cardinal Nation. But the bigger story than that is these uniforms. It's starting to be picked. The story is starting to be picked up by news organizations. And now the Major League Baseball Players Association is saying, um, you guys got to do something before opening day. You got to come up with some sort of idea because this ain't flying. Now, in case you missed all this, Nike came along, cut some sort of sweetheart deal with Major League Baseball tail end of last year and said, next year we're going to go to new uniforms. We're going to use new Space Age fabric. And we might even change some of the logos. You know, some of the teams are like, well, you know, as long as we're changing the fabric and the look of the uniforms, let's change the logo too. Cubs are making a little alteration. Cardinals haven't said they're going to do anything. But then, you know, you started having spring training games and all of a sudden people started noticing, Mommy, I can see Paul Goldschmidt's jockstrap because the things, the, the, the fabric might be real nice and comfortable and everything. But you can see right through it. Whatever a player is wearing under the uniform, whether that's sliding pads or a knee brace or just like a you know a, a shirt with some color in it, you know something other than white, you can see right through the uniform. And then, as if to add insult to injury, there's a player for the yeah for the Cubs. The guy's name is Alexander Canario, and he wears number four. So he's in the on deck circle yesterday down in Arizona. And somebody took a picture of this before the back of his jersey isn't even centered properly. It's sort of like off-center to the right. And people, yeah, if you got a little league team and you go down on Hampton somewhere and find some t-shirt company and the four is a little bit off to the side, you just tell the kid, look, you're 10 years old. Don't complain. Deal with it. But this is the major leagues. They can't even get the four centered in the back of the jersey. So like I said, now the Major League Baseball Players Association is complaining. And they're like, you got to do something before opening day. Now, here's the thing. There's like, uh, what is it, 800 players at any given time are on Major League Baseball rosters. So it's about 800 guys. That's 800 uniforms. But, you know, every player has more than one uniform in his locker. They usually got two, sometimes even three, depending on the player. Three times 800, that's a lot of fucking uniforms that would you know, potentially have to be thrown in the trash. And then what do you do? You have this deal with Major League Baseball and you have this fabric, but you can see through it. And by the way, nobody's even found out what happens if it's raining. You know, sometimes, you know, they're not going to stop every game just because there's some light drizzle. So now you're out there. It's like a giant wet t-shirt contest out there. So as I often say, watch this space. 
Back in 1999, you probably remember this day if you were in St. Louis because it was the day that they finally said, bomb this place, knock it to the ground. We're talking about the old barn. And not that people don't have tremendously fond memories of the old place, but let's face it, it's sort of like if you had somebody in your family who was just sick for a real long time and their situation was just deteriorating and deteriorating and it was putting not only an emotional stress but a financial stress on the family and the person's quality of life was deteriorating to the point where you really just said, you know, we would hate to see grandpa gone, but it might actually be for the better at this point. I think almost everybody's been in that situation or been close to somebody who's been in that situation and grandpa finally dies and people just sort of exhale and say, well, it it just might be better this way. This was uh, the best analogy I could put together for the old <laughs> for the old barn, the old barn and grandpa, an ABC after school special. But there was this goofy group called the Arena Angels, and the Arena Angels decided that this structure, and I use the term loosely, was worth saving. Now I'm all in favor of preserving historical buildings with a rich tradition. I was in Louisville recently, and my daughter lives about a block from the cemetery where Muhammad Ali is buried. And that neighborhood around there is just remarkable. There's all these old buildings that were built in the early 1900s that have been restored and refurbished. And they're just beautiful. You know, and the old conventional wisdom was knock them down, put up something more modern. And and thankfully, you know, there was a movement in this country that said, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, what are you guys doing? preserve this heritage these are beautiful architectural structures let's not just you know throw everything out so we can put up a bunch of more boxy looking condos and so the movement started to grow and so now you have this you know you have these historical societies and the preservation of all these historical buildings i'm totally in favor of it but the old barn my god see people forget it was sort of like the old bush stadium people are like it's beautiful what's wrong with it why, why are they knocking this down and building a new place see because what you saw every day the cardinal organization was making sure that what you saw was beautiful and even the day before they knocked the old bush stadium down you could still look at it and say gosh really i don't know it's sort of nice but what you didn't see was the building's infrastructure. And I can personally attest to the idea that at Bush Stadium and the arena, where, by the way, all of the office people are, you know, the president, the general manager, all the coaches, the sales team, the marketing and promotional people, all the maintenance, all, you know, everything you have in operating a big building like that, all those offices were right in there. And that's the part you didn't see. And it was really inhumane to make people come to work there every day there was the plumbing was terrible there were water was leaking all over the place you had the advent of uh, you know like internet technology and fiber optics and in the case of bush stadium they had these giant concrete columns holding the place up and you couldn't really go through them to put fiber optics in it was just sort of like you know what it's time and it should also be pointed out that the tastes or even the demands of the American sports ticket buyer have changed so dramatically. You know, people are putting a billion dollar stadiums 
And you can't expect people to pull into the parking lot of the arena and go, oh, great place. Can't wait to play in there. Flush the toilet and the lights go out. You know, it's like that three three stooges episode where you turn on the lights and the water would come out. In fact, I dug this up. I can't believe I found this. This is, we had Bob Plager. We had Bob Plager in the studio with us talking about his memories of the place. Tell me your best story about the uh, deteriorating condition of the old arena. Almost everybody has some sort of a story about, you know, just walking to the bathroom and coming face to face with a giant rat or something. What's your best story about the old barn? (laughs) Well, towards the end, they knew it was coming down or they were going to move, so they didn't do any uh, work down there, which is all patchwork. And it was every time it rained, and you go in our bathroom, and it was the sewers that back up. And, uh, oh. <clears throat> all was bad. And then uh, they had on the board and uh, the cockroaches, and you had your pin in there, and it was a $5 every week, and the biggest one you put your name under. <laughs> <laughs> but you go in there when uh, Harry Ernest was there, and the lights were all off, everything was on. Yeah. You go in the morning, you flip on a light, and you could see the cockroaches <gasps> running around. Oh, wow. That was a great building out the the rink and the seats, but uh, don't get be- don't get behind it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think they did that just to put more fight into you guys, <laughs> just to make you mad when you went out on the ice? Oh, I don't know. We were always mad, anyways. We didn't need the cockroaches. <laughs> so you ever get yourself a radio show? Get a guest like Bob Plager because he always came in with stories and jokes and the whole thing. We miss that guy. We definitely miss that guy. Back on this date in two thousand six, like I said, you know. Out with the old, in with the new. We got a preview of the new Bush Stadium. It was a cold February day, but I remember the sun was out, and we were pretty bundled up. They gave us all hard hats, and they took us on the tour of the new Bush Stadium. The seats weren't even in yet. It was just all concrete. There was no grass on the field or anything like that, but they were sort of showing us the developmental stages. And then they would call us like two months later and say, come out and look at it now. And we would come out and look at it again, and it would be like, wow, look at all the work you guys have done. That's when I actually ran into my father-in-law who did all the fiber optics wiring of the Bush Stadium scoreboard. And I was telling people that. I'm pretty sure everybody thought I was making it up. But then this guy, you know, walks by with this big bucket of tools. I'm like, you know, Mike. He said, what are you doing here? And everybody looked around like, "Eh, he's not making it up. That was fun to see that stuff. And because I was shooting TV for Channel 4 at the time, I not only got to be in there for the preview of the Bush Stadium, I walked on the roof of the TWA Dome the Friday before the first Rams game. What's his name? Uh, I'm going to say Jim Delaney. I'm pretty sure it's Jim Delaney. It was like, you know, one of the managers of the place. And he said, come on over, I'll take you up on the roof. So we did that, and we were crawling around all over the place. And, oh, I wish I could remember this guy's name, Judd something or other. Judd, oh, shoot. Anyhow, he took me on tours periodically of... Well, I guess it was the Keel Center, and then later on, the name changes took place. But back then, originally, it was still the new Keel Center. I got to go in there, and I got to walk on that roof, too. And by the way, the roof on the TWA Dome, they called it a membrane, not a roof. And I'm like, a membrane does not sound like something you want to walk on several hundred feet up in the air. And they're like, no, it's not like you're going to go crashing through it or anything. But I still remember it was a very windy day, and I had the cameraman put the camera just sit it right on the roof and you could actually see the roof rippling a little bit the roof was responding to the wind and when i saw that i got the hell out of there i don't care if they told me you can't fall through the roof to me 
it looked like we were going to fall through the roof. But all those trips were just so great, and we did great stories with them on TV. I may uh, actually, you know what, there's a YouTube video floating around of that story. I think I'm going to pull that out and put that on my Facebook page today. Let me dig around and see if I can find that. And one of my favorite stories took place on this date in 2009. All right, now, at that time, my two daughters and Joe Buck's daughters went to the same school in West County. And I would uh, see them occasionally, you know, plays and you know parent-teacher conferences and things like that. But in this particular case, it was the dreaded father-daughter dance. The father-daughter dance. You know, you had to put on a suit and tie and you would, uh, you know, got to get the flowers for your daughter and get her a gown and the whole thing. And you come walking into this place. And in this case, I think it was the Chase Park Plaza. And, you know, really, really nice and tre- a tremendous experience for daughters. You know, they're at that awkward stage where they're, you know, in some cases about to go into their teenage years. Most of them are like, you know, the 9, 10, 11, something like that. And some of them are getting dressed up like that for the first time in their lives. In some cases, maybe the first time they're ever wearing makeup. And you come walking in with your daughter proudly on your arm. And then she sees her friends and she's gone and you don't see her the rest of the night. And all the dads just sit in the corner at a table drinking beer and watching all of this. If you're lucky, at some point, your daughter comes over and says, well, let's have one dance. And then you dance with your daughter for one dance. She's mortified. You're embarrassed. You go back to your corner and just watch everything while the girls are doing the electric slide. So I go over there and I took the opportunity to sit down with Joe Buck on that night and tell him, you know, because I had just recently been remarried. And I went over and I told him, I said, Joe, I'm going to be a dad again. And he just sort of looked at me and went, you're insane. You're crazy. What's wrong with you? And I just laughed it off. You know, we were pregnant again with Francesca. So the story has an unusual ending, though. And that is very satisfying for me because it was a handful of years after that that Joe ended up getting divorced and remarried, and the father of twins. Yes, twin, twins. I had myself a good laugh that day. Man, I really got to shift gears now on this thing. Did you see John Stewart hosting The Daily Show last night? He spent the last three minutes of the show, surprised the crowd, surprised the crap out of everybody. Um, they had a dog die in their family and i've said this before and it was interesting hearing john stewart basically say the same thing last night that i've been saying for years because i've had a couple of dogs but i've had a lot of cats and i found this to be true at least my experience in talking to other pet owners that you know you could yeah probably i've probably had maybe a dozen cats in my life and each one's different And at least two or three of them really, really stand out because their personalities were so interesting or they were so funny or whatever. And so it's not uncommon for somebody to say, yeah, out of all these animals I had, this one was always my favorite. And from the sound of things last night, and if you didn't see this, I would encourage you to grab it online somewhere. But it was a very emotional speech that uh, John Stewart gave last night. And if you're not a pet owner, you probably laughed and thought it was stupid. And if you are a pet owner or have been down through the years, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And it reminded me very, very much 
of something we've played a couple of times over the years. This was the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and his guest, Jimmy Stewart. And boy, did he surprise the crowd that night. Now, the, the title of it is it's Bo. That's, that's the name of the dog. He never came to me when I would call unless I had a tennis ball or he felt like it. But, <laughs> but mo- mostly, he didn't come at all. When, when he was young, he never learned to heal or sit or stay. He did things his way. Discipline was not his bag, but when you were with him, things sure didn't drag. He'd dig up a rose bush just to spite me, and when I'd grab him, he'd turn and bite me. He bit lots of folks from day to day. The, the, the delivery boy was his favorite prey. The gas man wouldn't read our meter. He said we owned a real man-eater. He set the house on fire, but the story's long to tell. Suffice to say that he survived and the house survived as well. And on evening walks, and Gloria took him, he was always first out the door. The old one and I brought up the rear because our bones were sore. And he'd charge up the street with mom hanging on what a beautiful pair they were. And if it was still light and the tourists were out, they created a bit of a stir. But every once in a while, he'd stop in his tracks and with a frown on his face, look around. It was just to make sure that the old one was there to follow him where he was bound. We're, we're early to betters in our house. I guess I'm the first to retire. And as I'd leave the room, he'd look at me and get up from his place by the fire. He knew where the tennis balls were upstairs, and I'd give him one for a while, and he'd push it under the bed with his nose, and I'd dig it out with a smile. But before very long, he'd tire the ball, and he'd be asleep in his corner in no time at all. And there were nights when... I'd feel him climb upon our bed and lie between us, and I'd pat his head. And there were nights when I'd feel this stare, and I'd wake up and he'd be sitting there, and I'd reach out to stroke his hair, and sometimes I'd feel him sigh, and I think I know the reason why. He'd he'd wake up at night and he would have this fear of the dark, of life, of lots of things. And he'd be glad to have me near. And now he's dead. And there are nights when I think I feel him climb upon her bed and lie between us. And I pat his head. And there are nights when I... And I think I feel that stare. And I reach out my hand to stroke his hair. And he's not there. Oh, how I wish that wasn't so. I'll always love a dog named Bo. follow that so i'm just going to shift gears by the way i I should say this john stewart thing hosting on monday nights 
is too good to be true. He has not lost a step. He's so sharp. All of the facial expressions, all of the takes, all of the just the stuff that he does in those segments. It's just great stuff. All right. We have Ryan Gosling performing I'm Just Ken from Barbie. It's going to be at the Oscars on March 10th. It's nominated for Best Original Song, and Ryan is nominated for Best Supporting Actor. First round of presenters has been announced, by the way. Nicolas Cage, Jamie Lee Curtis, Brendan Fraser, Zendaya, Matthew McConaughey, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Al Pacino. Wow. Oscars are Sunday, March 10th at 6 o'clock St. Louis time. Jimmy Kimmel is hosting again. British censors have reclassified Mary Poppins from a G to a PG. What did they find in Mary Poppins after all these years that requires parental guidance all of a sudden? Well, there's a word, Hottentots. It's used twice. It's a derogatory term that was once used for people from Southern Africa. I knew this was going to be an interesting case, and it's turning out to be that way. So, you know the story. Somebody is being accused. It's actually three guys, including one of the former curators of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. And these three guys got together somehow and started selling off about 70, 75 pages of handwritten lyrics from the Eagles. The handwritten lyrics to Live in the Fast Lane, Hotel California, for God's sake. So they got these legal pads and they started selling them off and making a lot of money. Don Henley hears about it a while back and says, wait a minute, that stuff doesn't belong to you. That's stolen property and you can't sell or receive stolen property. That's ours. We are suing. And so the courtroom proceedings continued yesterday. It's been going on for a couple of days. And on the stand yesterday, Henley faced questions about his arrest in 1980. Now, have you ever heard the song Dirty Laundry? You know what we're talking about because that inspired it. Interestingly, this was the prosecution. These are the guys who are on Don Henley's side. They brought it up. You know why? Because they knew that the defense was going to bring it up, so they wanted to get ahead of it. Interesting legal procedure yesterday. So they said to Don Henley, look, it's either us doing it so we can get our spin on it, or they're going to do it, and then they're going to control the narrative on this whole thing, and you're going to be backed into the corner. So it's just better to get this out. So on the stand yesterday, he answered the questions and basically told the story of what happened back in 1980. He said that he was very depressed about the breakup of the Eagles. I think he was having trouble with his girlfriend who got sick, too. And so he said he called a sex worker to, quote, escape the depression. And then here's the quote. I made a poor decision, which I regret to this day. I've had to live with it for 44 years. I'm still living with it today in this courtroom. Poor decision. He also noted that he did not have sex with this girl and that he was the one who called the firefighters to help her and he didn't know she was underage until after he was arrested. But she ended up suffering an overdose at the time and she was only 16. A couple of years back, I posted some pictures of Christina Hendricks when she was a young model. Doesn't even look like the same person. I mean, you can tell from her face that it's her, but she was sort of on the thin side and did not have particularly big boobs. So, you know, now she shows up on Mad Men and has become a successful actress along the way and has these two things on the front of her, each one the size of a Volkswagen rabbit. And the pictures are up there now. You can, you can look at them and try to decide if it looks like there was surgery involved or not. I just don't, I, I don't know how somebody's body could transform to that level. 
But people argue with me, so who knows? Dave Chappelle's got a new Netflix special today called Chappelle's Home Team. Late night tonight, Sydney Sweeney on with Jimmy Fallon, along with Joe Manganiello. This is the guy who was married to Sofia Vergara. Now, if you're married to Sofia Vergara and she's leaving the camp off the toothpaste or just leaves her clothes on the floor, I don't know if it was me. I would just learn to live with it. Because how bad do things have to be before you voluntarily walk away from a marriage? <laughs> I mean, hearing myself say these words and I can't even believe what I'm saying. You walk away from Sophia Vergara. I don't get it. Jennifer Hudson, David Cross on with Kimmel, Josh Brolin on with Colbert, and Seth Meyers has Chance the Rapper. We have a date for the kickoff of the Alec Baldwin Rust trial. That is July 9th. Taylor Swift's dad under investigation in Australia for attacking one of these paparazzi guys. And it should be noted that back in the day, Nicole Kidman once got a restraining order against this paparazzi guy. So he's got a history. Everybody know this guy, DJ Khaled? I don't know why he's a star. I don't know what he does. I've heard some of his songs. I ain't impressed. But somebody is, and he's a big, big draw. And there was this big music festival in Miami a couple of days ago. And DJ Khaled said, "Uh, security guards, pick me up and carry me to the stage because I don't want my Air Jordans to get dirty. You think I'm making that up? I'm not. And Diddy has been hit with another new sexual assault lawsuit. All right, birthdays today. Kate Mara from House of Cards, part of the family of Maras who founded and still own the New York Giants and their mom's family is the Roonies and they founded and own the Pittsburgh Steelers. She's 41 today. Josh Groban, 43. Chelsea Clinton, 44. Neil Sean of Journey, 70. Ralph Nader, if you're a Democrat, you can thank Ralph for George W. Bush for eight years. Ralph is 90 today. Joanne Woodward, 94. 22nd Amendment, ratified on this date in 51, limiting a president to two terms in office. Mr. Rogers checked out the age of 74, stomach cancer, on this date in 2003, and nine years ago, 2015, Leonard Nimoy passed away at the age of 83. And finally, Walmart is offering mammograms at select locations. However, women should be careful when they're out in the parking lot and you see the sign on the side of the J.C. and Topher mobile G-Spot van where we go out on weekends and help <laughs> women find G-Spots. <laughs> Never mind, it was a bad idea. And with that, the J.C. Corcoran uh, podcast for Tuesday, February 27, 2024 is in the can. We're here every weekday morning, Monday through Thursday at 11 with the podcast. And if you can spread the word, that always helps. You can follow me, JC, at jconthelinecom Facebook, the showgram with JC Corcoran. Have a great day. Back on the air tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. on KWOLF, 101.5 St. Louis, and still 101.7 West and beyond. We stream at kwolf.com. Enjoy these temperatures. Watch out tonight. Don't get no blowed away. And in the meantime, we've beaten this one to death. Have a good one. See you later. Bye. The J.C. Corcoran Podcast.